Chapter 12. What about the children? But how do you know if you're gay if you've never had sex, Peter asked, before taking another drag from the joint he was sharing with Jake. You've never had sex. How do you know you're straight, Jake countered, gesturing for the joint. Peter pondered this for a moment and then giggled. <laughs> I've had sex before, Peter protested with a little too much desperation. Jacking off doesn't count, dude. Peter looked at Jake and didn't say anything. Jake went on. If that was the measure, then we'd all be gay, right? That's not how it works, and I have had sex with a girl. Jake looked up at him and then burst into laughter. He forgot that he had just taken a hit of the potent medical marijuana that Peter brought. The laughter caused his lungs to burn and triggered a vicious coughing attack. This caused Peter to begin laughing and coughing as well. Jake wiped away the tears caused by the burning in his lungs and smiled at his best friend. Okay, if you say so. I have, really. Okay, okay, I believe you, Jake relented. Was it fun? I guess. You're such a liar. Screw you, Jake. You're not my type. You know what I mean. Quit being such a dick. You are pretty cute, though. Peter blushed and looked up at Jake to see if he was serious. Really? Don't even go there. You started it. You're high. As a kite. I know. We could never do it anyway, Jake said quietly. Why not, Peter asked, gesturing for the joint. Two reasons. Two reasons? Yeah. Number one is you're not gay. Peter nodded while taking a deep drag. And number two? You're like my brother, dude. And it would just be wrong on so many levels. Yeah, I guess. They sat in silence for a moment. Plus, I'm really high. Really fucking high. I am, right? Yeah, me too. Another long silence as they took turns on what was left of the joint. Then Peter said, You're right. About what? I've never done it before. I know. Yeah. Peter waited until Jake looked at him again and their eyes met. But if I were gay, you'd totally be my boyfriend. I know, Jake said, matter-of-factly. And then they both started giggling. The giggles turned into laughter, and the laughter continued until the joint was gone. I am so frigging high, Peter said, before falling back on his futon and closing his eyes. He was grinning from ear to ear. Jake watched him sleep for a couple of minutes before he, too, fell back and closed his eyes. It had been two years since their first meeting in the hallway of Twin Pines High School, and they had been the closest of friends ever since. While Peter was shy and withdrawn to almost everyone at the school, he was immediately open and honest with the new kid, Jake Porter. He was drawn to Jake because of all the people he had ever met since a childhood bout with leukemia had left him permanently hairless. Jake always looked him right in the eye and never seemed to care about his odd appearance. For the first time since he was seven, Peter felt like he could be himself, as goofy as that might be at times. Jake just didn't care. 
As fearful as Jake had been after his fight put Jeremy in the hospital, it turns out the fear was unfounded. By putting the bully in his place, Jake was instantly adored by the students at the school. It seemed like the whole school wanted to be best friends with him. If anything, all of the attention made him more uncomfortable than the fact that word quickly spread about his academic prowess and that he had actually chosen to go to school for a year. The central question at the school for the first month was, who does that? Who actually chooses to go to high school when they don't have to? But Jake handled it all in stride, thanks in large part to his friendship with Peter, who showed him the ropes, made introductions, and smoothed out some of the social awkwardness that came with Jake's lack of normal childhood socialization. It also helped immensely that Jake was a genuinely good person. He had an openness and honesty that was rare in high school. While most of the students were caught up in cliques and overly concerned with what other people thought and said, Jake was unaffected by it all. He took everyone at face value, listened to what they had to say, and when asked, he answered honestly and without pretense or agenda. His close friendship with Peter served as a testament to his character, and as a result, Peter's popularity soared, and the two became inseparable. During Jake's year in high school, he began to help Peter break out of his self-imposed exile. Peter's insecurities were gradually replaced by self-confidence and a wicked sense of humor, and indeed, joy. It had been impossible for him to shake the sick kid stigma that had followed him for what seemed, to him at least, to be his entire life. He had beaten his disease years ago and was as healthy as most kids his age, but he still looked and acted like a sick kid. He was afraid to participate in sports due to his understandably overprotective parents, and he was extremely self-conscious about his appearance. He was actually a good-looking young man with strong facial features and a frame that would have been well-suited for an athlete. His eyes sparkled with life and mischief, and his smile was warm and inviting, if rare. Jake certainly brought out the best in him. As their friendship blossomed, Jake began to pull Peter further out of his bubble by beginning a fairly intense workout program of running, weightlifting, and judo. Reluctant at first, Peter gradually warmed to the routine and then reveled in it. In a very short time, Peter actually became a stud. His new muscles hung very well on his frame, and for the first time in his life, girls started smiling at him. It took Jake several weeks to convince him that the girls were interested in him because he was smart, good-looking, and had a desirable body. Peter just assumed that the girls just liked him because they liked Jake. Not so, Jake insisted. Not so. Jake was instrumental in helping Peter ask a girl out for the first time. While the date itself was a disaster, Jake assured him that they'd have plenty of times to do better, and he did. Peter had visited the ranch on numerous occasions, but Jake didn't let him in on the big secret until Christmas break. This was a big deal for Jake, and he was nervous about exposing his father's theories and over-the-top preparations for the end of the world. He didn't want anything to get in the way of his friendship with Peter. By this point in their relationship, they had become more like brothers than anything else. In fact, Jake began to think that if he had a brother, he would want him to be exactly like Peter. 
Like most of his other fears, Jake's concern was simply unfounded. One afternoon after their judo workout at the ranch, Jake spilled everything. Peter thought it was the coolest thing he had ever heard. Although George was okay with Jake telling Peter some things, there were a lot of details that were strictly off-limits to outsiders. Peter understood, but it didn't dampen his enthusiasm for the ranch or for his friendship with Jake. He also developed a deep affection for Izzy. Even though she was much too young for him and he didn't spend that much time with her, he definitely saw the similarities with Jake in terms of her openness and honesty and her sarcastic sense of humor. He found it funny that the two kids could have such a great sense of humor, while George, the father, always seemed so serious. In the end, he gave that fact little thought. It really didn't matter to him. George had been very happy to see that Jake had made a good friend in Peter. He had been a little nervous about Jake revealing the family secret, but he accepted it as part of the process. He quickly grew fond of Peter, though, much to his own surprise. The kid, while funny-looking, was thoughtful, kind, funny, and thought the world of Jake. One night, after dinner, during a discussion about the big change, Peter asked a question that shook George to his roots. George had just finished explaining how he thought our society would begin to disintegrate when Peter politely raised his hand. George laughed and said, You don't need to raise your hand, Peter. Uh, Sorry, Mr. Porter, Uh, just a habit, I guess. What's on your mind? Uh, Just a question, Peter said tentatively. Yes. What's going to happen to the kids? The kids? George was no longer smiling. Yeah, you've painted a pretty grim picture that totally makes sense. But with all these people dying and marauders running rampant, what happened to the little children? Kids. George stood up, scratching his head. Good question. He looked right into Peter's eyes. What do you think will happen to the kids? I, I don't know. I guess, I guess they'll die alongside their parents? Now, Izzy and Jake were both thinking solemnly about the question. George was dumbfounded and angry with himself because through all his years of preparation, he never once considered children other than Jake and Izzy. Good question, Peter, Izzy offered. <laughs> yeah, dude. Way to kill the conversation. George shot Jake an angry glance, and Jake looked away. It's a good question, Peter. To be honest, I haven't given it much thought. Sorry, Peter said quietly, looking down at his shoes. No, don't be sorry, young man. It's definitely something we'll have to think about. George was thinking about the parents, some of whom he had met through Jake's school. His single-minded quest to ensure the survival of his own kids had left no room to consider, even for a moment, the plight of other children. He began to imagine Peter's parents, who had selfishly devoted much of their lives to Peter's very survival. How would they feel if they were forced to watch him die a slow, agonizing death due to starvation? Tears began to well up in his eyes when he considered an even worse scenario. How would they feel if they were forced to watch Peter endure their own painful and miserable death? He quickly wiped his eyes. 
Uh, I'll have to give it some thought, he said before excusing himself and going for a walk. After he left the room, Izzy, Jake, and Peter just looked at each other. After a long moment passed before Izzy spoke up. We could take care of him here, right, Jake? Jake was caught off guard, but he quickly engaged. Yeah, I don't see why not. We'll have plenty of food, clean water, and safety, Izzy chimed in. Maybe we can begin training them to help us defend the place, right? Jake said. How will they get here? We'll go get them. Dad said it would probably be 30 to 60 days before things get really bad, right? And that's his theory, Izzy replied, deep in thought. So we can sneak into town to assess how bad things are and then spread the word that the kids will all be welcome. Will the parents let them come? Peter asked, not sure if his comments were welcome. Izzy and Jake were riffing off each other pretty well, and he didn't want to disrupt their flow. Good question, Izzy asked. What do you think your parents would do? If everybody was starving and marauders, I love that term, by the way, were killing people? I think they'd let me come here, Peter thought out loud. Feels kind of cruel to let the parents starve or be shot while we have their kids here. Jake was really thinking about it. I think they'd have to understand that we couldn't take care of everybody, wouldn't they? Izzy asked. Both Peter and Jake thought about this for another long moment. Peter was shaking his head slowly. I don't know. Jake was not so outwardly optimistic. I don't know either. Starvation is one thing. Marauders are another thing altogether. I think we have to try at least, Izzy said, looking at her brother. No question, Jake answered with conviction. We'll have to make some additional preparations if we're going to have kids here, though. Yeah, books, games, toys, and more food, for starters. The discussion continued for another 15 minutes before George returned, still frowning and visibly worried. What about the children, he asked rhetorically. All eyes looked at George, and he locked eyes with Izzy, Jake, and Peter in order. We'll bring them here, and we'll take care of them. All of them. As many as we can. There was a determination and a finality that caught Jake and Izzy by surprise. George rarely spoke in absolutes. But George's tone and demeanor left no room for questions or doubts. And when he turned and walked out of the room, it was settled. Of course, making the necessary preparations for what could end up being several hundred children and more adults to supervise and protect them wasn't as simple as George's definitive statement on the subject, but there was still time. And thanks to his steady stream of royalties from his inventions and salaries, there was plenty of money. Before they left for Berkeley, Jake and Peter, with lots of help for Izzy, made sure that the children would not only be safe, but also happy. As happy as children could be while riding out an unimaginable apocalypse, anyway. <laughs>